I've had an amazing morning this morning already, just, I don't know, through different conversations and through prayer, and excited to see what the Lord is doing in my life and in the lives of uh, all of us, in the lives of this region. It's an exciting time to be part of the body. So this morning, uh, second message in the series that we're going through, Love God, Love People, creating a culture of caring for people. And when we're talking about a culture, a culture is just who we are. We want to care for people not out of obligation. We want to care for people not because we go to the well or even just because we're part of a church. We want to care for people because it's our culture. We want to care for them because we know that we are the answer that this world is looking for. We want to care for people because of the Jesus that is living inside of us. And Gary did such an amazing job last Sunday of setting this series up. A key, one of the keys to really being able to care for people is knowing who we are. Knowing that we are sons and daughters, knowing that we have been given dominion on this earth and that we've been put here for a purpose. And that purpose is to redeem every square inch of this earth, to bring redemption to people's lives, to bring, uh, to be, bring redemption to government and to school systems. We've been put here for a purpose. And one of the keys to really being able to care for people is understanding who we are in Jesus. I, when visitors come, I, I don't ever like to make anybody uncomfortable. But I can't help it this morning a little bit because I see Jason walking in here. And I was thinking during worship, my cousin Lauren had to leave, um, but Lauren and myself and Jason graduated together. I was thinking, man, 25 years ago, I think, something like that, if you would have told us we'd all be in a church together, like, whoa, <laughs> probably not going to happen. So it's good to have you here this morning, you and your family, and just, man, God is such a loving God and such, brings such redemption to our lives, and we're a story of that, or an example of God's goodness. All right, so this morning I have the second uh, in the series, Sea Care Act, and then Danny's going to wrap it up, uh, not next Sunday, because next Sunday Jim Baker's here, but the Sunday after that, Activating a Kingdom Culture, uh, will wrap up the series. So Sea Care Act, creating a culture of caring for people. Go to Philippians, go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Paul says this, and he's writing to the church of, of Philippi. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I want you to sit back and I want you to listen to these words. These are... I'm going to read those scriptures again. I'm going to read Philippians 2, but I'm going to go 1 through 8, and this is in the message. This is how the message translates what Paul said here. 
says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you do, if you care, he's like, he's really nailing this down, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. And then he goes on, and I'm going to read verses 5 to 8. And he says this, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. Became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. That's how the message translates Philippians 2, 1 to 8. What I want us to understand this morning is this. Jesus set the bar for caring for people. That's what verses 5 and 8, that's what Paul's talking about. Jesus set the bar for caring for people. And it's his expectation that today, in 2020, we care for people to the same level that he did. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for a friend. And Gary, at the end of, the ser- or at the end of his sermon last Sunday, gave that amazing story of the soldier who literally gave up his life for a group of friends, and it changed a culture. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for a friend. And that could be laying down our life physically, but maybe it means laying down our wants over somebody's needs. Maybe it means laying down some of the time, some of the things that we feel are important to us to really care for those around us. What I'm talking about this morning is really twofold. It's a culture of caring for each other's needs. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote to the Galatians, he wrote to the Philippians, and he always encouraged them to bear one another's burdens, to care for each other. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that's the one thing I'm talking about this morning is as a body, As a body, we need to care for each other. We need to take interest in each other's lives. We need to bear one another's burdens. It fulfills the law of Christ. Second fold is a culture of caring for the people around us. It's caring for the people in our families. It's caring for the people in this community. It's caring for the people and the needs we see while we walk through Walmart. It's caring for the needs in the schools that we go to the businesses that we work at. It's caring for the people in this region, in this state, in this country, 
and in the world. And why is that so important? I love this verse. James 1.18 says this. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, me, you, everybody sitting here this morning, we out of all creation became his prized possession. People are the apple of the Father's eye. We are his prized possession. And he has put us, the church, Christians, his disciples here to care for people. Another verse that really shows the heart of the Father and gives his heartbeat is 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that, who should perish? That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Those two verses really show us the heartbeat of the Father. People are his prized possession. People is what he really cares about. People is what he entrusted and gave dominion to the world to. He cares about people, and he set the bar high on how to care for people, and he's expecting us to care to the same degree that he did. Really, to get into the heart of what I want to talk about this morning, I want to use the passage from Matthew 9, Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And this is Jesus, this is his words. And this is in the heart of his ministry as he's walking on earth and he's, his disciples are following him and he's teaching them. And he's giving them an example. Not just them, he's giving us an example today in 2020 on what it should look like to be his disciple. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing which sicknesses? All sicknesses and which diseases? All diseases among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, and I want to stop there, when he saw the multitudes, the first point, three-point sermon this morning, but number one, if we really want to care for people, we have to see them. Jesus' focus Guys, get this. Jesus' focus was never on his own needs. It was never on his own wants. It was no, never on his own comforts. Not that he didn't have wealth. He was actually very wealthy. Not that he didn't enjoy life. Not that he didn't steal away and rest. He ministered out of a state of rest. But his focus was one-dimensional. And that was seeing the kingdom of his father come to earth by meeting the needs that he encountered doing life. One of the things, the first step that we really need to do is we need to be able to see needs. I think we miss it so often. Let's be honest, like, we're a really distracted group of people. And I'm talking to myself this morning. We become really dis distracted by us. I mean, if we're honest, and I'm, I'm talking to myself this morning, you get into a restaurant, First thing you do is you pull out your phone. You gotta drive down uh, the road. It doesn't take you long to notice that people are driving. They're on their phone. People are walking down the streets. They're on their phone. Phones are amazing. 
They're a tool that we can use to further the kingdom, but sometimes I think the Lord would just like to reach down and just slap them right out of our hands to get our attention. When's the last time I've gone into a restaurant and I've just sat there and I said, Holy Spirit, show me a need that you would have me meet today. When's the last time I've been driving down the road and then I've put the distractions away and I've said, Holy Spirit, highlight a business for me to pray over. Highlight a home that I can pray over. We, become a ve- we have become a very distracted people. The first step in caring for people is being able to see a need. Take interest in people's lives, preferring others. On a Sunday morning, let's take interest in people's lives. As we're sitting here, Holy Spirit, Lord, who would you have me minister to this morning? Who's had a bad week? Give me a word of knowledge for somebody that's here this morning. Show me a need. We need to see in order to care for people. Let's move on through this passage. So it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Second thing that we need to do as a group to really care for people. We need to not be so distracted that we can't see a need, and then we need to care. Caring is simply seeing people through the eyes of Jesus. Caring is not seeing them for who they are in the moment. Caring is not looking at people through a judgmental spirit. Caring is seeing people as Jesus saw them. I just, I always imagine, and I don't know if this is how it was, the scripture, that they just like crest this mountain and look down and Jesus just sees this multitude of people that are scattered, like sheep having no shepherd, people that had no direction, people that were probably living in sin and, and he didn't see them for what they were doing in the moment. He saw them for what they were created to be and that was a son and daughter of the king. He cared and he was moved with compassion. Let's ask the Lord to not let us see people or be able to see past maybe the addictions they have, the things that they're manifesting in the moment. Let's ask the Lord to help us see through that and help us see them through his eyes as a precious life, a precious son and daughter that need to be redeemed. Seeing them as someone that God created and sent his son to the cross to redeem seeing them for their creative value, created value. The scripture that I read in the beginning from Second Peter, all people are precious in God's eyes. And it's his heart that all should be saved. It's his heart that they should all walk out the book that was written about them before time. We have to be moved by compassion because we know that we have the answer. We're not the answer, but the answer is living inside of us. We are the answer. We have the answer that will restore them back to what God created them to be. We have to be moved with compassion. We talk about caring, just kind of a little rabbit trail, then I'll get back on the main 
uh, on the main trail this morning. But one of the things that the Lord is growing in me, one of the things that doesn't come natural to just my personality and that he's been challenging me in is that sometimes really caring for people means having hard conversations with people. There's a scripture in Acts, Acts 20, 25 to 31. I don't have it up on the PowerPoint. But this is Paul. So Luke recorded these words that Paul said. And Paul had just spent a bunch of time with the Ephesian elders. And this is what Paul said. He says, Indeed now I know that you, that I know that you all, among whom I have gone, preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So Paul was saying, I've spent time with you. I think it was like three years. I've been teaching you. I'm leaving. There's a good chance that I'm never going to see you again. And so he says um, that you will never see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God." I read that verse and it struck me. I think some of the times, not some of the times, a lot of my past, I've been really afraid to say things that I think might um, bring condemnation to somebody, might uh, make them feel guilty. And one of the things the Lord has really been showing me is this, caring for people is not watering down the gospel. It's not watering down the gospel just to keep peace or to make someone feel good. It's saying truth in love. The worst thing that we can do for somebody is not share the complete gospel. That's not caring. Don't share, don't speak a watered down gospel. I think that's what Paul was saying here. Paul was saying, I have not shunned to share the whole gospel with you. If we really care about people, we can have hard conversations, but we can do it in love and ask the Holy Spirit to really speak to them. All right, so the third point this morning. So we have to see. We have to put rid, get rid of our distractions so we can see. And then we have to care. And then the last thing we have to do is act. Let's read verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So we have to see, we have to care, and then we have to act. And action is where the rubber really hits the road in our lives. Action takes sacrifice. We can see things, we can care, but if there's no action, then we live out James 2, 14 to 17, that says this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and the one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Action takes sacrifice. And for myself, that's hard. It's hard sometimes to prefer others' needs over my wants. Preferring others' needs over our own agendas is the Great Commission. 
And when we talk about sacrifice, I think uh, something that I grew up kind of thinking in a mindset that I had, and it's a mindset that we need to get rid of and we need to understand is this. The Lord is never going to ask us to give everything we have to the poor and become poor. Does that make sense? The Lord is never going to ask us to sacrifice all we have to become poor. I'm drawing from resources that are unlimited. I'm drawing from time. I'm drawing from money. I'm drawing from provision that is unlimited. And as he asks us to give out, as he asks us to take care of the poor and to feed the hungry and to spend time with people, we're drawing from a bank that never runs dry. And his resources are there. Preferring others' needs over our own agenda. It's the Great Commission. And those of you who know me know that I could never preach a sermon on loving people without going to the Great Commission. It's kind of an inside joke, but I think probably the first 20 sermons I preached were on the Great Commission. It's my favorite portion of Scripture. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The Great Commission is in the same breath, the single greatest sacrifice, blessing, thrill, reward, fulfillment that we can do. The Christian life is not a life that is boring. It's a life that is exciting. We get to be Jesus' ambassador on earth. Seeing others' needs met and people redeemed is our greatest achievement. Let's never forget that. Fulfilling the Great Commission is putting action to the heartbeat of God. Go to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 27 to 29 says this. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning who? Every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. The heartbeat of the Father is that everybody, the homeless people, the drug addicts, the people that we look at and think, no hope. Jesus wants to use us to bring redemption to their lives and see them walk out the story that he wrote about them. I'm going to sum up this morning with two verses. And these two verses, I think, basically sum up the heartbeat of the Father and sum up creating a culture of caring for people and then a story at the end. 1 John 3, 17 to 18, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The last scripture I want to use this morning is this, and this is probably my second favorite scripture in the Bible. It's Matthew 25, 34 to 40. 
Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and who gave him meat? You did. We did. The body. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. And I think in our culture, especially in this area, well, twofold. Sometimes I think that we don't think maybe there's people like that around us. But I'm here to tell you there are. I experienced that this week. I was made aware that this lady that works for me is in a bad relationship and her husband has an addiction that takes all her money. She hadn't had food for a week. And she was living in a house that didn't have heat because she didn't have money. And it literally broke my heart. I'm thankful that I, I work for a Christian company. I'm thankful that the rest of the week and today she does have food. And she has a warm house because her heat is back on. But there are people around us that is, are the people that Jesus is talking about here. There's people that have needs. We just have to be willing to see them, to be moved with compassion, and to act. I think this, these can also be metaphors. Jesus says, for I was hungry. Well, let me ask you, do you know somebody that's hungry? Do you know that somebody, do you know somebody that's hungry? For the Lord? You know somebody that's hungry for a relationship? You know somebody that's hungry for somebody to sit down and have coffee with them and just to talk? There's people in this church like that. There's people that you rub shoulders with on a daily basis that are hungry. Thirsty. Thirsty for truth. I run into people all the time that are so thirsty for something different than what they've experienced. They're so thirsty for truth. Naked, hungry. Do we know people that don't have the resources that we have that the Lord would say, reach out to them. Meet their need. They're all around us. Sick. Do we know people that are sick? Maybe physically sick. Maybe mentally sick. Maybe spiritually sick. In prison. It could be a physical prison. It could be people that we rub shoulders with that are in bondage with addictions, that are in chains, that are holding them tighter than if they were in a physical prison. There's people all around us, and the Lord is saying, You're my disciple, you have the answer. Verse 37, then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed, or thirsty and gave thee a drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto, the one, unto one of the least of these my brethren, 
you have done it unto me. I think there's portions of scripture and there's times in scripture that we can look at verses as a checkbox of self-evaluation. According to scripture, this is part of being a disciple. So as I'm looking at that, it's a good place to do a self-evaluation. When's the last time that I fed a hungry person? When's the last time I gave somebody who's thirsty for truth a drink? When's the last time I took a stranger in? When's the last time that I saw somebody with a physical need and I met it? When's the last time I saw somebody sick or in prison and I visited them? These are checkboxes. These are part of being disciples of Jesus. These are, this is what it takes. This is when the rubber hits the road on bringing kingdom to earth. I'm going to close with a story. And this is a story. Before I, go, before I get into the story, I want to make this statement. You, we create a culture by the way we, we respond to the Great Commission. The way we respond to seeing, caring, and acting creates a culture. And I want you to remember that as I tell you this story. And this is a story about my mother. This is a story that I heard from little on up. And mom passed away a year and a half ago. But she would repeat this story often. And even the grandchildren have heard this story. It was a story of her as a, as a little girl. She was the oldest of five siblings. There were four girls and a boy. And mom grew up in a home that was not always pleasant. My mom's dad, my grandpa, was an alcoholic. And before I go on, I want to say that the Lord met my grandpa in a miraculous way. And what I remember of my grandpa was a gentle, amazing, God-fearing man. And I know I'm going to see him in heaven someday. But that wasn't my mom's experience when she was growing up. Our grandpa was an alcoholic, and often he would go out and he would spend all their money on alcohol and he'd come back drunk and he would do really bad things to the children and to my grandma. Well, because he had this problem, they never had money. And it was Christmas time. This had to be in the late 40s, early 50s. And grandma told the children on Christmas Eve, guys, we have no money. There are no Christmas presents this Christmas. We don't have the resources to buy anything. So the five Wenger children went to bed on Christmas Eve knowing that on Christmas Day they would wake up and there would be no presents. Except some neighbors got wind of what was going on some neighbors banded together, and after the Wenger children were in bed on Christmas Eve, they knocked on the door, and they had presents way beyond anything that they had ever received. And each of the girls, I, I, mom, I remember mom telling this like it was yesterday, but each of the girls got a doll, along with a lot of other stuff, and Grandma, who was an awesome, godly lady, stayed up all Christmas Eve sewing clothes for these doll babies. So Christmas morning, the five-winger children get up, fully expecting to have a Christmas without toys. And they go out into the living room, and there on the table 
is a table full of presents with their name on it. There was a group of people that saw, they were moved with compassion, and they took action. And one of the things that really struck me as I was thinking about the sermon this morning and thinking about creating a culture of caring for people is that I don't know who those neighbors were. I don't know their names. And to them, that act, probably, they may not even remember it. But I'm telling you, that single act of caring created a culture. It created a culture with inside my mother and my dad. And anybody that knew my mom and dad knew that they cared about people above and beyond anything. When there was a need in the community, they met it. When there was somebody that needed a meal, they were welcomed into our home and fed a meal. When there was somebody that, whenever there was a need, my mom and dad were there. And I know that that single act from those neighbors put, created a culture inside my mom, and that culture was passed on to me, and I see it in my children. The way we respond to the Great Commission creates a culture, and not just creates a culture today, but it's a ripple effect that those neighbors, that act, those ripples are still going on and on and on today. It's a big deal. The way we care about people, the way we fulfill the Great Commission is a big deal, not just for today, but for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Amen? Never believe that a few caring people can't change the world, for indeed, that's all who ever have. Guys, I am, I, I know we got to close, but I get so passionate and excited that God has chosen us to bring his kingdom to this region. That God has chosen us. That his spirit is inside of us. And when we wake up in the morning, our feet can hit the floor and we should be asking, God, who would you have me to minister today? Where would you have me push back darkness today? That should excite us. Anyways, I gotta quit. It's time to close. Anybody, before we close, I just, anybody have a testimony? Anybody have anything they wanna share this morning? You want the mic? Or you want to come up? <laughs> I, I know that I haven't been here very much, but during worship, um, I kept seeing these sunglasses on people, like just a pair of sunglasses, you know, those reflective kind. And I was reminded of a friend that I had that, um, you know, sunglasses, we wear them to protect ourselves from the bright sunlight. But she wore her sunglasses so much that it actually damaged her vision. And the doctor told her, you have to take your glasses off so that the, the light can, can reflect in your pupils and you, your, your sight will be restored. And I just feel like what you were saying about seeing, that we, I... <laughs> walk through life, like put our sunglasses on, because it also protects us from, you know, it, 
it helps us to see better in one way, but then it can damage our vision in another. And that just that, I was reminded that while you were talking, I was just reminded of that. And just to encourage us to take our sunglasses off, to allow the light of Jesus to shine so we can see more clearly that our vision isn't damaged by guarding ourselves from, you know, um, something that we think is good, you know, to be aware of the people around us just to affirm what you're saying. So, thank you. That was so good.